Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. And this week, we're talking about the HBO series Search Party, the video game and book series Dragon Age, and we'll also discuss our favorite comfort movies and shows that we've been rewatching. So, K-Dubs. Yes. Yes. Like we said last week, you're very into HBO at this point in time. I am. I am. I started using an app that tracks, you can like log your TV shows and movies. Mm -hmm. And HBO Max is not my most used service. It's still, I think Netflix is my most used right now, but it's really up there really quickly and I'm stunned. So I'm sure the novelty will wear off, but they do have a lot of really good shows on there. That's awesome. No. So tell us about Search Party because I remember hearing about it, but I never watched it. So tell me all about it. Oh my goodness. So we're recording this on the day that the fourth season drops. So I'm probably gonna, when we're done here, I'm probably gonna scurry on down and watch the premiere <laughs> of the fourth season. So it's, it actually has not been on HBO the whole time. It started its first seasons, its first two seasons were on TBS, and then seasons three onward are on HBO Max. So this is technically, I guess, a sitcom, but it's very dark, very satirical. It's, it's cringy. It's got a mystery element to it. But it is only a half an hour. And sometimes I really like when I can find a good show that's only 30 minutes, even if it's not technically a sitcom. Yeah. So basically, it's set in New York City. And it's about a group of four, essentially hipsters. <laughs> and it kind of satirizes the lifestyle of a late 20 something, early 30 something living in New York City. But I think it's relatable even beyond that specific geographical location, because I think we we all know people who maybe take themselves a little seriously and are very trendy, and maybe maybe you and I are sometimes guilty of this. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps on occasion, we literally just before we started recording, I was bragging to Carrie about this like trendy sparkling water <laughs> I'm drinking. Like that's that's yeah. part. Of, I'm part of the problem. So <laughs> anyway, so the characters are Dory is the main character, and she's played by. Aaliyah Shawkat from Arrested Development, and she's amazing. She is sort of like a little bit of a doormat when the show first starts Mm -hmm. in season one. And she works as a personal assistant to this rich housewife, played by Christine Taylor from the Brady Bunch movies. Oh my gosh, that sounds wild. Who is amazing. (laughs) Yes, it's really funny. And uh, she's dating this guy named Drew, played by John Reynolds. And he's very tall, very kind of gangly, and a little bit of a like a hipster nerd, basically. But their relationship is not very good. It seems like it's a little stale. And one of their friends is Elliot, played by John Early. And he is, he wants to be famous. He is all about being famous. He wants to be an influencer. He's, <laughs> he self-diagnoses himself as a narcissist. He kind of like, like he is sort of some of the, I mean, I believe in political correctness, but he takes it to such a degree that it's, really irritating. <laughs> and then their other friend is Portia, played by Meredith Hagner. And she's an actress, but she's also very sort of dim and bubbly. And there's some other recurring characters, but season one is all about, they had all gone to college together. And season one is all about one of their mutual friends, Chantal, has gone missing. Mm-hmm. And none of them actually knew Chantal super duper well. But for some reason, Dory gets very obsessed with trying to solve the mystery of Chantal's disappearance. Hmm. 
and it kind of unrolls from there. There's a lot of really fun guest stars, like Ron Livingston plays this private detective. As I said, Christine Taylor is Dory's boss, and she's hilarious. Rosie Perez is in season one. Parker Posey is in season one. Jay Duplass is in seasons two and three. Michaela Watkins is in season three as a prosecuting attorney. Louis Anderson is in season three as this uh, defense attorney. Hmm. There's just a ton of really great like figures in situation comedy and stand-up comedy, and also kind of like these sort of cult actors. So it's got an amazing cast. It's actually co-created by Michael Showalter, who is an actor and comedian and sketch comedy guy. And you can really, really tell that it has a big, like people in sketch comedy are very involved in the production of this show. Mm. And season one is really all about Chantal's disappearance. Season two sort of unspools from there with the aftermath of some events that happen at the very end of season one. Season three is a season-long court case related to things that happened in the previous seasons. And then season four is going to be about the disappearance of a different character, who I can't say who that is without spoiling. It really is very much like there's an element that's a psychological thriller, and it is a good mystery because you do want to know what happened to Chantal. Yeah. And it has a lot of like surprising twists in the narrative. So I think for somebody who likes, if you like comedy, and if you like satire, and if you like true crime. I do like true crime. Yeah. So I think you might enjoy this. It is pretty interesting. And it's suspenseful enough that like the first season, I was binging it even on the TBS app on my phone was initially the only way oh, I could wow. watch <laughs> And I was dedicated enough that I was doing that. Wow. So, yeah. It must be really good, though. It is really good. The music is really good. They use a lot of good music. People wear very cute clothes. It does have a little <laughs> bit of a that sense of like, oh, New York, trendy people. Like, there is a little bit of like, oh, I like her couch. Like, that sort of <laughs> weird style interest. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's it's really good. Awesome. But there is that element of cringe comedy. So if things like Curb Your Enthusiasm bother you, this might sort of bother you. Like there is an element of, it has a little bit of a squick factor in terms of like secondhand embarrassment, because people do things frequently that are not in their best interest and prove them to be like bad people. Yikes. So often, like just from like a social, social mores standpoint, you know, people making social faux pas that lead to almost higher level like criminal (laughs) implications Hmm. so okay that's (laughs) it's very vague i unsold it well the problem is that because i I don't want to spoil our listeners at all because it is very much a mystery but it's it's interesting the journey that the characters take and there's there's levels of growth that each of them go through but there's also like almost de-evolution of their morality in some cases, Hmm. which is interesting. And I think that's an interesting choice. It's almost like there's points where certain characters who begin as heroic at this point in the narrative, they have inverted into antiheroes and vice versa. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can start by hating someone in season one. And then by season three, you'll actually think that they're the only voice of reason. And someone who seems very reasonable in season one by season three is just like a nightmare. Wow. So, yeah. It sounds like a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. I think that's, it's very layered. It's really fun. There's only, it's funny because there's only 33 episodes total. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like so much happens in these short little 
episodes, which really speaks well of the writing and the cast. Mm -hmm. I think it's all very sharp. So, yeah. That's great. Give it a shot. I will. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I don't really quite know what to expect, but it's, <laughs> it's a, a badge of approval that you love it yeah. so much. So I'll try it out. Yeah. And I hope season four is everything you hope for and more. Yes, we'll see. I'm going to I'm going to scurry off and enjoy some of it later. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been working your way through a video game series and a book series. I'm not I have not really heard of Dragon Age. So you'll have to explain it to me. Yeah. So I haven't exactly been working my way through both series. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay. There are currently three Dragon Age video games. And okay. the fourth one is planned. It they just released a teaser trailer for it. And I started out with game number three. Okay. But I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I had some time off over Christmas. So I played some video games. And this is one I've been wanting to play for a while because it's from 2014. And it's from Bioware. And even though it's six years old, well, almost seven, I guess, I still hear a lot about it. So I've been intrigued. And I do love dragons. Although, interestingly, not a lot of dragons have shown up yet. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah, I'm sure people who have played the earlier games know much more about the dragons in this world. But I will, <laughs> I will tell you what I can. Okay. So I started playing this game, and basically it is set on the continent of Thetis. And the game opens with an explosion of some sort. And you, the player character, are caught in it. You're actually the only one who survives the explosion. Mm. And witnesses say that they see you being escorted out of this explosion by a character named Andraste, who's like a god-ish person, I think. I'm still learning a lot of the lore as I go. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, for like a solid five hours. Not continuous gameplay obviously but i was just like i don't know how to play this game <laughs> it took me a little while before i actually figured it out but <laughs> but i've got the hang of it now <laughs> good 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 so they see you being escorted by andraste who's a very revered deity and you become known as the herald of andraste and the the interesting thing about that is you can because you have dialogue options and different things you can decide how much you want you believe in that and how much you want to just pretend like it's true because you actually don't have any memory of what happens. You just kind of wake up and you're in chains and everyone's like, you killed this person and you're like, no, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so in this explosion, it also opens up a breach in the sky and it's a tear between this world and the fade which is the, the world of demons. So demons can leak through the breach and part of your job is to help seal it up because you, are, you come out of the explosion with this mark on your hand. And again, you just don't know anything. You're figuring out things as you go. And that mark lets you close up the smaller rifts in the sky. Mm -hmm. And eventually you do get to close the bigger breach, but then you have to go around the continent sealing up these rifts to make sure no demons are getting through because demons are bad. <laughs> <laughs> As you go on, you, you meet more characters, characters who are from the first two games, which I don't know anything about. <laughs> I only know this because <laughs> I read it. 
so Thetis is a is a kingdom of a lot of civil unrest, and you've got mages who are magical people, and you've got the chantry who are religious people, and then you've got the Templars who are soldiers, and they're all sort of vying for power. So what happens after the breach opens up is you and a couple other characters reform what's called the Inquisition, and it deals with sort of defending against dark magic. And you get to go on these little quests and you get to, you can do different things like gain allies for the Inquisition. You can do things like, like I said, close up the rifts. So that helps the people in the areas where the rifts are, because obviously no, no more demons are coming out. So you earn the goodwill of people and things like that. And eventually you find out that a darkspawn mage called Corypheus is behind opening the breach. I'm not like super far into the game, so I'm still... What you do is you have to build up power to unlock certain missions. So the main mission I don't have enough power for yet. So the way you gain power is by going to do these little side quests and things. Mm-hmm. So my my battle with Corypheus has paused because I go I need to go build up some power. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's a it's a fighting game. You get to fight some demons. Once again, I play a character. So you can play a couple different races. You can play as a human, as an elf, as a kunari, which is what I am. Oh, what is that? It's like um they're very large and they've got horns. So they're sort of demon-like a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think they're particular to to this game and this this universe. Oh, okay. Um, you could also play as a dwarf. That's the one I was forgetting. Oh, okay. But yeah, they're sort of giants a little bit. Mm, okay. Yeah. I always play. I always love to play elves in fantasy games. So I would mm. probably play an elf. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, that is. I just <laughs> I end up playing like really. Not monstrous characters, but characters who are kind of outsiders. And mm-hmm. like I said, with Skyrim, I was an orc yeah. with a big great sword. And in this game, I also have a great sword. <laughs> <laughs> I just like going in and, and bashing things. I'm not good with subtlety, <laughs> with like yeah. quickness or anything. So I could never be like a rogue. Well, and it's funny that I like to play these lithe, roguish elf characters, but yeah. I one of my favorite games I ever played, and not to sidetrack us too much, no. was a video game called Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, and I played a vampire type that was called a Bruja, which is a big bruiser. It's the orc of vampires, okay. and it was the best playthrough I ever had, because he could just <laughs> like solve all problems with his fists, yes. basically. <laughs> And it, it was helpful a lot of the time. Yeah, there's there's absolutely <laughs> no subtlety in it, though. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's handy. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. I think it depends on what kind of game you want to play, too. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of politics involved. And Canari are not really super well trusted. I actually have only run into, like, one other Canari. So I, I don't even have a sense of, like, where they live on the map. <laughs> So, yeah, if it just kind of depends on how much you want to play into the politics and how much you you want to be subtle. And I'm just not. I'm like, no, let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> what is your D&D character then? My D&D character is a Warforged monk. Oh, interesting. They're not as large as my video game characters. Uh-huh. 
but I very much am like the person who goes in <laughs> just ready to fight. <laughs> really? That's so funny. <laughs> to the annoyance of some of my party members. <laughs> oh, no. Who are like, let's talk this out. I'm like, no, let's punch him. <laughs> no, but it's fun. Yeah, so I have been playing this game and enjoying it, and just out of the blue, I I looked up if there were any books to go with it, and there's a series of six books. The last book is a series of short stories written by different authors. Mm -hmm. So I ended up picking up book number four, which is called The Masked Empire, because it deals with the time period right before this game opens up. Oh, okay. So there's a kingdom called Orle. Who is it by? Oh, sorry. The book is by Patrick Weeks. That's W-E-E-K-E-S. Okay. So in the book, Empress Selene has been the empress for about 20 years. And everything is sort of coming to a head with the mages and the Templars and there is civil unrest. So her cousin, Duke Gaspard, is trying to challenge her for the throne. But the way their kingdom is, they are people who value subtlety. And they would much rather, like, poison other people <laughs> and use secrets and rumors to get rid of other people. So he and he's a chevalier, which is a type of knight who is focused on honor on the battlefield. So there's sort of an unwritten rule that he can't just go and kill her and take the throne. Mm-hmm. So they're they're playing this kind of game. And then Briala is another character in the book. And she's Celine's handmaid, and she's an, an elf. And I forgot to mention the elves at this point in time, they're kind of second class citizens. Their homeland's been taken over by humans, and they've they've just lost a lot of numbers. So they don't have as many rights as humans right now. And she's Briala is trying to use her position as the Empress's handmaid to help change that. So basically, it's a big fight for power. And the interesting thing is it takes place pretty much right before the video game Inquisition. So I had known some of these characters from the video game. And part of the video game is that you get to pick who <laughs> who's going to be the next in power. Like if Celine's going to keep being Empress or you can back Duke Gaspard or you can even back Briala, who by the time of the video game is kind of like a spy mistress. She has a big network of spies and the reason i found out why she has all these spies is in the book which i thought was cool oh cool i was like oh that's what happens (laughs) so yeah it's just it's an interesting world i like exploring it um one thing i forgot to mention which i think is interesting is the kingdom of orle specifically they wear masks over the top half of the half of their faces when they're in public So it's kind of strange. And also at this point in the real world, the very opposite of the mask that we are wearing. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's really bizarre. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm just having fun with it. Cool. Yeah. Once I finish this game, I mean, I have lots of games to play. So eventually I'll go back and, and probably do the first Dragon Age and the second. And I think I'm going to read the fifth book in the series because... Again, it's in the same time, same-ish time period. Okay. Yeah, so I slide very easily into fantasy things. Yes. It's a comfort zone. But it sounds really fun. I think I might like that. It's probably not available on Mac, I'm sure. 
I don't know. We'll look. BioWare actually does port some of their games to Mac, so it might be. But it sounds fun. It sounds like some things I have played before and I would enjoy. Yeah. Neat. Cool. But speaking of comfort, you slide right into fantasy mm-hmm. in a comforting way. We've both been rewatching some stuff that we take some comfort in, and you've been rewatching a fantasy show. I actually haven't been rewatching it. It's my first oh, okay. watch through. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought about that a lot today because typically we think of comfort things as rewatching or rereading. Mm-hmm. But I haven't actually been doing a lot of that just because there's so much out there to consume. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about the types of things that I do enjoy as comfort. And I was thinking about fantasy because it's so familiar mm-hmm. and I like the elements so much. So for that, I'm watching Xena, Warrior Princess for the first time. <laughs> and then a couple of the other things that I enjoy are romance and mysteries and I find those comforting because I don't want to say they're formulaic, Mm -hmm. but you know what you get with them. They always meet my expectations. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I I have been reading the next book in the Heathcliff Lennox mystery series, which I would say is very comforting to me at this point. I've read like three or four of them. (laughs) Cool. And they're the same pattern and the character does not experience a lot of change or growth so it is very comforting and he has a dog and a cat which is comforting unto itself and there's a lot of scenes of being on trains and eating and sleeping (laughs) and it's like it's very like it's literally a cozy mystery like like, it's oh this person gets enough rest and they get enough to eat the lovely yes yes it's delightful and he gets to walk around in public and talk to people and there's no you know it's set in like 1920 so it's like so yeah, so you've been watching Z. I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. I thought that it was a rewatch, but yeah, this is your first time through. So yeah, is it is it rising to your expectations, or is it just kind of cozy in a certain way? What is it about it that feels comforting? That's a good question. I don't know if I had expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I had watched the first season a long time ago. I think when I was in college and enjoyed oh. it, but I didn't really remember anything about it. So I started watching it in December and. I guess my expectations were that it would be fun, which it is, Mm -hmm. and it would be fantasy, which it is. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Like, other than that, no expectations. A couple things I find comforting about it are that it is a fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. It's set in, like, pre-classical Greece, so there are gods, and Xena has her sword, and she's got her chakram, so there's just the traditional fantasy fighting. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of magic. So I find those things familiar. Mm -hmm. I will always, I think I'll just always come back to fantasy as my first love. Mm -hmm. And then another way that it's comforting, as someone who grew up in the 90s, but didn't have a lot of awareness of what TV was like then, just because I was a child, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still sort of figuring out how television has grown and matured in different ways but just become different Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i like about xena is that even though it is somewhat a serial because Mm -hmm. the characters do grow and they go through challenges it's very episodic at the same time Mm -hmm. so you know you pretty much know that the problem is going to be solved by the end of the episode yeah sometimes it's not but most like 99 percent of the time it is. And I find that really comforting because <laughs> because I know I'm not in for the like 
oh, this 20 episode long season where the mystery draws out and you don't, and you maybe don't even get closure at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And you can watch an episode and there's no expectation that I need to watch another one. It's just like, I'm going to watch one and that's it while I eat dinner or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a self-contained story. Yeah. So yeah, I just really like that. But you've been rewatching some stuff that you find comfortable, right? Yeah, since the beginning of the pandemic, we have been, well, like, I think I started watching Friends before the pandemic hit, just because it was going to leave Netflix. And ironically, now it's on HBO Max, which I have anyway, so it's, (laughs) I still have it. But I just did a very, it was a casual rewatch. I didn't, I skipped around a lot, because if you sit and watch all of Friends, it'll take you forever. (laughs) So I watched that, and then I was like, oh, I want to just kind of cozy into a bunch of, you know, sitcoms that I enjoyed in the late 90s through like 2017, basically. That's a long time. It is a long time. But it's to me, that's a golden age of sitcoms. And I, <laughs> So then I went through The Office and Parks and Rec, which I had seen before, and then 30 Rock, and then News Radio, which we talked about a while ago. And now I'm on to New Girl, which it's a little bit strange. I loved this when it was on, but it was a show that it took me a little bit to get into. Okay. But by the end of it, I was like kind of obsessed with it for like a minute. And I forgot how good it is. And it's really cute and it holds up. And something interesting that like made me want to revisit it was that I was teaching a college women's studies course and my students would bring it up all the time as like, like if I would ask them to compare like a media thing with something we were talking about in class and they would always bring up New Girl. And I'm like, what? Why are the, the kids watching this like? you know, 2010 sitcom that was on Fox (laughs) for seven seasons. It just seems like whatever, but they're discovering it on Netflix. Okay. And it it does have that like being in your, they're in their 30s, but I think they they come off like they're in their mid to late 20s. Okay. And it's just very light premise of this girl played by Zoe Deschanel. Her boyfriend cheats on her, so she has to move out all of a sudden. So she moves into a loft with three guys. And she has a best friend who's a woman who's also like a model. So all the guys drool over (laughs) her. But it very quickly, the premise sort of just dissolves into a basic sort of rehash of friends in a way. (laughs) (laughs) And because they're all just good friends and they hang out and they have their unique personalities. But Mm -hmm. the thing that's really interesting about New Girl, though, is that it has kind of better representation because there's actually two black men on the show. And Jess is Zoe Deschanel's character. Her best friend, Cece, is Indian American. And one of the main guys is um, Jewish. And I just think it's nice that they let that be. And it's also not really a thing. Mm -hmm. Like all the characters, you know, make reference to these elements of themselves, but it's also not a big deal either. And it's assumed that people can just get along. And I find that interestingly refreshing with everything going on in the world. Yeah. And yeah. So... And it's, it's, you know, there's love triangles and little dating plots, but it's mostly just very cute. And there also is sort of some political discussion. I think one of the reasons that my students would bring it up is that Jess does make some references to her feminism on occasion. Okay. So it's kind of just assumed that that's part of her. She doesn't really, she's very much a third wave feminist and, you know, it's kind of just a thing. And it's kind of like you were saying with Xena, there are definite story arcs, like people date each other and then break up and you have to kind of watch it in order. But at the same time, each individual episode does have a self-contained plot like most sitcoms do. And But I think that they tend to have more unique plots. 
like one of the characters gets obsessed with his cat to a kind of weird degree and tries to get his cat a date with another cat. And that's just silly. Yeah. And, you know, but it's really, it doesn't, I mean, it just adds to that character's quirkiness. And I don't know, it's just very wholesome because all the characters like each other. And it's, there's not a lot of like, it's not, it's not one of those shows with a lot of like cynicism. It's not like Search Party. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's very, it's very earnest, which I like. And I think that things that are earnest, you know, it's like the premise of our show here. We want to not be cynical and we want to not hate watch stuff. Mm -hmm. And so things that are sometimes wholesomely earnest are refreshing and comforting. For sure. Yeah. One of the things that I am sensing in common is that a lot of things that we want to rewatch or watch for comfort are lighthearted and they're not mm-hmm. like grim dark. Like I'm we're not gonna walk away from them being depressed because right. that's not the point of the comfort watching. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I'm watching plenty of stuff that is grimdark, but mm-hmm. I can tell even with some of the shows like that, I'm probably not going to want to rewatch them. I've never rewatched Breaking Bad, for example. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I enjoyed it, but I'm not interested in rewatching it. Yeah. But but New Girl, I might I could see myself, you know, 10 years down the road rewatching it again. Mm-hmm. Caroline in the City, I rewatched that we, when we had our our pals from the Caroline in the City podcast on, like, that was probably my third time through that show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I put great value in a thing being rewatchable. Mm-hmm. So I know some people don't. Like, my mom's talked to me about it. She's, I'd be watching a movie for like the fifth time and she'd be like, why are you watching this again? You've seen it. <laughs> and she's just like, if I've seen it, I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> Which baffles me. So even when a thing can be good, sometimes it's not good for me because there's no inherent rewatch value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of my comfort stuff is is stuff I want to rewatch. And one of those things that I was thinking about was like <laughs> masterpiece theater shows based on like Regency and Victorian mm-hmm. novels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of a specific <laughs> subgenre, but yeah. anything like based on a Jane Austen book. I love those miniseries and the movie, the movie versions. Mm-hmm. But also there are a couple wonderful Dickens adaptations by Masterpiece Theater. So one is Bleak House. I think it's from 2005 or six. And one is from 2008, which is Little Dorrit. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I love both of those. Bleak House is like six hours. Gillian Anderson's in it. Mm. Anna Maxwell Martin. Charles Dance, a lot of people. And Little Dorrit is eight hours. It stars Claire Foy, Matthew McFadden, a bunch of other recognizable people. Mm -hmm. But, oh, North and South is a good one by Elizabeth (laughs) Gaskell. I think that's from 2006 as well. That one's four hours. So, like, they're right in this threshold where, like, (laughs) you could watch them in a day. (laughs) Yeah. But you probably shouldn't. But sometimes when I get sick, I'll I'll just pop on one of those and watch it all day because it's Aww. yeah, it's very comforting. I find I find the yeah, the Regency Victorian and like early Edwardian period very mm-hmm. comforting. Mostly Victorian for me, but I was just thinking the other day that I wanted to rewatch the newer version of Upstairs Downstairs. It was only okay. like two seasons, very short seasons. And unlike Downton Abbey, which I love, but it, it's a commitment. <laughs> Yeah. Upstairs Downstairs is very self-contained and it's so I think it's set in the early 20s and it's just got so much good like cozy 
you know, sitting and drinking tea scenes and, (laughs) you know, the romance between the rich lady and the chauffeur. And it's just very, and there's like, there's a monkey in it. This woman (laughs) has a monkey. Okay. Like, that's great. Like, I want to rewatch that and re-see that monkey. And (laughs) I think Claire Foy is in that too. I think Mm -hmm. she was a Nazi. So I want to see the I want to see the Nazi get her comeuppance, and I want to see the monkey sit and have some tea, and it makes me happy. So I completely get it. That's all we ask for out of fiction. <laughs> I forgot that you had seen that too. It's so good. It's yeah, so good. I was actually thinking about that the other day too, and I don't know if it like came across on Hulu or something, but I was like, oh yeah, I should rewatch that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll cover it. We we should we should rewatch that and cover it. But I think I think with movies, there are – I was just thinking about rewatching all the Back to the Future movies because mm. that's – I think those bear a lot of rewatching. And I think that they have some stuff to say about today's climate. And it's – I know that my time travel writing is very much influenced by that series because okay. it came out when I was very uh, – an influential age yeah. in my childhood. So That's awesome. The common thread with a lot of these, though, is that they – yeah, not grimdark and – clear heroes and just kind of like good triumphing so yeah yeah that's a really good point about these are definitely the good guys and they will definitely win the day yeah that's important yeah because then the nazi gets her come up and in upstairs downstairs <laughs> that's right so that doesn't always happen well. in real life <laughs> it doesn't Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> i watched an episode of new girl before we recorded mm earlier today and it was all about Jess pretending to like basketball so that she could become friends with one of her boyfriend's friends and it was just very cute yeah that was the whole plot so like and that can be a plot like that's you know yeah that's a classic hijinks yes does the friend (laughs) try to learn anything about what she likes that's part of the problem is that she wants him to open up and share his feelings and he's a stoic (laughs) Stoic guy who just gotcha. likes to relate to people through sports. So, <laughs> right, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if listeners have any comfort viewing that they like to do, let us know because we might add it to our lists. Yes, I think I think when people find things that make them happy and cozy in these difficult times, this is the in the dark of January is the time when people should really you know nest and and lean in to the stuff that makes them happy well said and that actually reminds me that a few years ago we haven't done it a couple years but my aunts and my cousins and i would always have a movie marathon in january or february and we called it like the doldrums marathon oh that's such a good idea and it was always period pieces oh so cozy (laughs) i i i we started watching Bridgerton, which I'm sure we're going to cover mm. in a later episode, but we're watching it on Sunday night because Sunday night in our house. Theater night. Yes. And that's when we used to watch Down Abbey and Sherlock and <laughs> it just feels right. And it's fitting in very nicely to that, awesome. that sense. So yeah. That's great. And yeah, we'll definitely talk about that yeah. in a future episode. But what are we talking about next week? Next week, we'll be talking about Taylor Swift's second quarantine album, Evermore. She's she's a crazy woman. <laughs> the new adaptation of The Stand and the movie Kajillionaire. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. You can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together at Pause Pop Podcast. You can email us at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. 
Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop.